Hello from Cyberry and Delinea, and welcome to the show. If you've been enjoying the Cyberry podcast or 401 Access Denied, then make sure to like, follow, and subscribe so that you don't miss any future episodes. We'd love to hear from you. Join the discussion by leaving us a comment or review on your platform of choice or emailing us at podcast at cyberry.it. From all of us at Cyberry and Delinea, thank you and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the 401 Access Denied podcast. I'm your host for the episode, Joseph Carson, and it's a pleasure to be here. I'm really excited about today's session. And this is something that kind of has been a topic that we've been waiting to discuss for a long time. And I've really got the most awesome guests on the show to really break down today's topic. Uh, welcome to the show, Diana. If you want to give us a bit of background about yourself, what you do, and uh, tell us uh, kind of you know some of the things you, you enjoy about uh, the industry. Oh, well, first of all, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. I, I always love speaking with you. You've been on my podcast, we've been on the podcast together panel. Yeah, so it's just, it's great to be here. Uh, but yes, Diana Kelly, I am currently the CISO at Protect AI, which is a, a company who's looking at, at securing uh, the ML SecOps pipeline. But I've been in IT for well over 30 years. And I actually got interested in AI back in the 1970s <laughs> before anybody goes, what? <laughs> she can't, push. she's making that up. Um, it's because in the 1960s, a professor at MIT came up with a program called ELISA, which was meant to interact with people in a very human way, sort of passed the Turing test and it had conversations with people. And they had a plug-in module called Doctor that was supposed to emulate speaking to a therapist. And when I found this piece of software, I was completely enamored of it and, and wanted to understand how it was, because it does, when you don't understand how it's working, it really can feel very human. But when you start understanding the mechanics underneath, you begin to understand, okay, this is a piece of software. It is working in a particular way. So that's where my initial interest in, in AI, I don't think I even knew it was called AI back then. <laughs> did any of us? None um, of us did. It was, we, we yeah. referred to, even when I first get into the whole, you know, artificial intelligence side of things, for me, I was focused on natural language processing. And uh, that was, the, you know, and natural language understanding. Those were the things I was familiar with. You know, AI was kind of more, I always thought it was this more far thing about, you know, sentient beings that would come to life. You know, that's what Star Trek got us to think of when we think about data and Star Trek, that, you know, it was this thing that would come to life and and, and, and be living just like we do. Um, and it goes back to, you know, even the Eliza one, it was really that the problem was a lot of the psychology side of things behind it uh, got a bit more challenging as well about, you know, what was, what was people's interactions when they thought it was something that was real until it starts making mistakes. <laughs> so. Right. <laughs> right. Or giving you bad advice. Yeah. But it's true with the psychology. It was like, it felt like it was listening. It mm -hmm. felt like it was there, but until it starts saying things like you know, Hal and, uh, <laughs> in 2001, <laughs> sorry, Dave, I they can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. But important point you made is that our AI is not something new. I mean, it's been around since the, you know, even the, you know, introduction to computers and technology, it's been around for a long time. Even, even prior to that, I know we can get into the fiction side of things in books, you know, it was, yeah. it was around in science fiction and books for, for many years. Um, you'd even look at, you know, back at the Doctor Who days, you know, that was right. <laughs> a lot of references. So, um, so to your point, absolutely, it's not new, but tell us a bit more about, you know, so this is something you got really passionate about and, uh, and looked into what was what was the things you find really interesting in it? 
I did. Well, I think we're sort of, so obviously my career has been predominantly in security. I'm still obviously focused on security now. It's a lot around security of AI and ML, but yeah, where AI came intersected back into my life and my career was when I was at IBM because I joined IBM security about a year, maybe two years after Watson had won Jeopardy. (laughs) (laughs) For anybody that doesn't know, Watson is the AI from IBM. It's, you know, LLM in the sense that it does natural language processing. You can interact with it, ask it questions, things that we're used to chat GPT uh, doing. And it was used, if you hadn't heard, to win Jeopardy in, I think, 2010 maybe, uh, but it went up against two big Jeopardy champions and 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 Watson was able to win, and which is a pretty big feat when you think about it, because those Jeopardy questions can be very confusing and you have to do a lot of figuring out what's the actual, Absolutely. what are they really the, the looking for The context is here? really hard to understand. That's the, that's the challenge. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and Watson went and, and they were able to prove they could, could beat it. Uh, Watson was developed for health and I was with IBM security mm-hmm. and we developed something called Watson for cybersecurity and just how we trained it, how we were training it. I was even talking to the um, the folks before we started the training and I said, well, we're going to train on everything on the internet because <laughs> there's a lot of bad security stuff out there, bad advice, incorrect, you know, like, and does Watson have some sort of like really good detector to figure out what's right and what's not? And then, and some people early on said, oh yeah, Watson's going to figure it out. And I was like, I'm questioning, but then later I realized that as I, we were actually training and working with it, it wasn't that we were just unleashing Watson to ingest the entire corpus of all security. It was giving Watson, to your point about that training set, giving Watson the security information to train it that was going to really help it to understand how to help address cybersecurity problems. So I, yeah, I did. I got really interested. How does this work? And then you start hearing the the, the, the headlines, the news, where, <laughs> and it can get wacky. Like it really. does. That's the that's the thing is that I don't I don't think the media really understand it. I think that the problem when I when I'm seeing some news article or some news like coverage on on AI, they're calling it very very broad everything, and yeah. I don't think that they really get into the understanding about that. There's very different levels of AI, lots and lots of like maturity to the very simple things that's literally just a task or an algorithm to yeah. the much more advanced things that are more self-aware and, you know, using neural networks and using a lot of different data types and, and getting into also, you know, self-learning as well. There's, it's a very broad spectrum. And the thing when I'm, when I'm listening to any news about is they talk about it all the same. And that's what scares me is that we, we do have a fundamental, let's say, a lack of education and knowledge on the, on the subject to the point where people assume that it's all the same thing. That when we're talking about, you know, even, even simple algorithms uh, to uh, getting to chat GPT, to search, to, you know, just even driving cars, that we're starting to assume that, you know, all the things around us are, are, are becoming to life and starting to think for themselves. <laughs> so. Yeah, that's exactly it. We do. We conflate all of the different components of artificial intelligence into just one big bucket. So uh, robotic automation is a form and will be discussed as part of, of, of AI. But robotic automation is robotic automation. And to, yep. you know, to have a, a machine pick up a widget and put it over here or screw the widget in. Yes, that's a form of of 
of automation, some people would put it in intelligence, but it it doesn't it doesn't sit in exactly the same category automatically as a truly sentient being that is now able to make decisions, to override what its instructions are, and you know fix itself, write new code. I mean, the things we see in science fiction where these a robot that really becomes completely autonomous and can to the point that it can fix itself sort of wally it's going to figure out you know what's wrong with it and and take care of itself that those are that's a huge spectrum there and the headlines it's true they just kind of make it all like well it's all here right now and it's like mm. So one, one of the things one of the things you commented on, uh, so you did a fantastic talk at RSA, and for those you know, we'll make sure that uh, those are listening, and we'll add uh, you know the link to the to the RSA uh, session in the show notes. One of the things that you mentioned that kind of got me really interested was um, there's a there's a very big difference between, uh, for example, let's say um, AI, you know that uh, you talked about the Turing test. Um, And for me, I think the Turing test is one element. I don't think the Turing test will really get to the point where it really validates that it's AI or not. I always like the more the uh, the Chinese doors uh, or the two-way door um, test. And that's where uh, if you give it certain messages or certain things that uh, there's no context for it to learn, that it has to identify itself. So, for example, one of the things was if if you... uh, all of a sudden pass books in a different language. It would actually have to understand and try to learn that language without any additional context. Um, and that was the other, it was the two-way door test or something, the Chinese door test. And for me, that was really where I think the difference is, is, is one is that humans being able to, you know, difficult to distinguish between if it's a human or unhuman. And the second part is that, is this thing really able to learn by itself? You know, to, to self-teach and self be self-aware and starting to learn from that. I think that's the next level up. I think those are the different kind of some of the stages that we have to get into is to how, how um, you know, is it, is it humans that needs to tweak these algorithms or is the actually AI algorithm tweaking its own algorithm itself? That's one of the differences I think what we had to get into. That's and that's a huge difference. And yeah, for anybody that doesn't know the Turing test, it's mm-hmm. just if a human's interacting with the AI, do they know that they're interacting with a machine, mm-hmm. with a piece of software, or with another human? And it, you know, depending on which human is making the judgment, some AIs already passed the Turing test. <laughs> um, you know, but it, but yet you're you're talking about this bigger. What happens? What makes it able to? How does it learn? And how does it know to correct itself as it's learning? And these are really, this is a lot harder to solve than people may realize. When you look at ChatGPT and how everybody's gotten so excited, and the headlines are things like, it's, you know, it passed the bar at the 90th percentile, which it did, but it's, it's, a, it's predictive. ChatGPT is, is generative and predictive. So what are the answers to the questions in the bar? We pretty much know them. There's not a lot of creative or new thought, but recently a lawyer actually used ChatGPT to create oh, the case. cases. Yeah. The cases fall. So and and this, is, this gets a bit worrying. <laughs> it, it does, but you know, thinking from one lens, uh, it makes sense. If I was a lawyer and mm-hmm. I saw that ChatGPT could pass the bar, which a lot of, of law students say is very, very difficult to do. I know people that have tried many mm-hmm. times, they don't pass. So you see that, you see the ChatGPT can pass at this very high rate and you think it's a legal genius. But mm-hmm. this case that the lawyer presented in front of the judge, it was not only poorly argued, 
but it said the big problem was that it was citing cases that didn't even that didn't exist. exist. It, it made them up. <laughs> yeah, it just and and they were and it's, and it's, it's really confident too about you know so they'll give you like a lot I, of good content. I loved the one with Marcus Hutchinson uh, when he was doing the thing about I think it was. Uh, 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 one of the movies that was coming out, like version two. Did you see yeah. his his conversation back and forth? It was hilarious. Is like, you know, when is when is uh, I think it was Black Adam two coming out? And yeah, I said yeah. in February twenty twenty, whatever. You know, he's like, oh, so you know, oh, fantastic. And then I get into this argument that was actually already out. <laughs> it was actually saying it's yeah. already out in the cinema. He's like, no, it's in the future. It hasn't that day. Yeah. And I get into this argument. It was hilarious. Um, that, you know, this is the problem is, is that it becomes very confident that it's correct. Um, but when you get into, if you're talking about passing exams, I mean, if humans were able to sit and, you know, enduring an exam and, and have Google to basically search um, all the answers, I mean, they probably do a pretty decent job of passing most things. And, and that's why we have to understand is that if, you know, if humans basically were in the same approach and they could do, one of the best terms I heard is that, you know, what we're looking at here is accelerated math reduction. And that's what it is doing. It's taking lots of data, you know, basically a lot of data, and it's able, based on the input, based on the question you ask, it accelerates the reduction to that down to very, very, uh, you know, finalized or, you know, example answers. Um, and you still have to go and validate the accuracy of it. Uh, but people are starting to believe uh, yeah. that it actually is fact. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's which is... Quite- it, those are the two things that bother or, or worry me the most. The one is believing what the system puts out as as fact, and um, you know, and it's really easy to we trust the machines. I always use the example: if I gave you two ten digit numbers and you multiplied them with a calculator, would you then say, "Getting out the pen and paper, and I'm just going <laughs> to just double check that that right?" We just say, "Well, the calculator knows mm-hmm. more than I do. They're better. It's better math." And it's with these systems that I do worry about. Mm-hmm. You know what they and this is like a really great example. My father, who unfortunately recently passed in March, oh, um, before he, thank you, uh, before he died, I was showing him ChatGPT, and my father was a theoretical physicist who worked at MIT Lincoln Labs for his career. And one thing that he came up, he was he discovered the theory of self-focusing in optical physics. And I thought it would be fun for my dad to see what ChatGPT would say about who discovered the theory of self-focusing. And it came up with a Russian. And my father, you know, looked, I don't even know if this Russian existed. My father had never heard of this physicist. And my father, rather than, you know, (laughs) saying, you know, like, that's wrong. I did. I told ChatGPT it was wrong. (laughs) I said, no, 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 no. But my father hesitated for a couple of seconds. And he said, well, when I made that discovery, the Iron Curtain was still there. So perhaps there was a physicist and sort of synchronicity in Russia at the same time who came up. But it was just fascinating. I mean, here's the person, the scientist responsible for this discovery, now doubting. I mean, now like, doubting that's whether- <laughs> but so that's imagine. Fun- yeah, that's the fun thing. Even when you search yourself, the accuracy is sometimes like it's way off. You know, even, you know, if I, yeah. I went in and searched any details about myself, I think for, for most of us, we end up finding out that when, like uh, I, I know a lot of my peers who have done searches and it's actually already said to, you know, that they've passed away <laughs> while well, I haven't. At right. this point, it's, it's going like, where are you getting this information from? <laughs> and how, are you, how are you making that connection? Because even, you know, when you search the name, uh, it's bringing lots of di- little bits of information about different people and yeah. making it look like it's that one person. Yeah. 
And what's the probability? You know, I mean, <laughs> the death thing is interesting, but yeah, probability of what's the probability that somebody else would come up with self-focusing? I When I ask it questions about what books I've written, it comes up with books that I could have written, but I didn't. Right. But it's the probabilities there. So that's that's one big thing is we're trusting this stuff. We're trusting these systems. And I'm not saying they're bad or they're terrible. It's just they're not 100 percent accurate. And and if you ask something that if you don't know the answer and you ask something what the answer is and you have no way to understand if that's right or not, that's kind of problematic. And sometimes people will say, but we do that with search engines. Not quite the same way. The search engine presents us with a number of different options that we have to validate, which one do I trust, and then read, we understand. And that brings us to the other part that concerns me, which is that, you know, passing the bar, they're not asking legal, uh, you know, legal esprits, you know, uh, potential uh, lawyers. They're not asking them to pass the bar because it's like somebody needs an answer. Will you give us the right answer? It's to validate whether or not somebody has the capacity to argue cases, to be a lawyer. Uh, you know, the same with, I was an English major in college. And, uh, you know, I, we're not asking about what the green light at the end of Daisy's doc means. When you ask somebody to explain that to you, it's not because you, I, I know what the, the green light means. You probably know what the, certainly your college professor asking you to write that essay knows what that means. It's to help you understand how to read a, a literature understand and parse it. So if you go to chat GPT, and I know this sounds like the whole like, yeah, you know, you're not learning, but you're not, you're not learning. And that part waking up that critical thinking part of our brain and our analytical part of our brain is such a wonderful part of being human. I don't want to see people cede this to machines because it, it really, I think not only does it take away the ability for our brains to grow and get stronger, but it's yeah. also, I think, one of the most fun things about being a human. We're, and, we're, and we're losing, that. one of the big concerns for me is one of, the, one of the things that we are good at doing is creating unique content, unique yeah. kind of viewpoints. And what we're doing is, you know, we're taking lots of the same information um, that's already out there that's not unique and then just putting it in a kind of new form and it doesn't make it unique either and that gets that gets my my worrying is you know and to your point is it all gets into accuracy as well um, yeah. and one of the things so i said uh, a few years ago uh, i participated as a subject matter expert on the eu ai act which is which is still in progress and it's still coming yeah. so even i i i at this point, I think we definitely do some needs regulation to come sooner <laughs> than later right now, because um, it does get me concerned big time. And one of the things uh, is during, we had this roundtable subject matter expertise. It was all about uh, the roundtable discussion that I was involved in was the, the acceptable use of AI by law enforcement. You know, mm. that's, and that gets into yeah. a very, very you know, critical decision. And one of the things that I learned is, and to your point is that, you know, I always look at things as, the integrity of the accuracy and you know what's what's the probability what's that and when if law enforcement are using ai in order to to analyze and, and, and get information or to to make decisions it has to be right 100 percent of the time and that's a big difference because the moment you have one failure everything then comes up for question everything the integrity of all of those becomes up for subject it's like you know if you've got you know, a lawyer uh, who processes everything and all of a sudden you find out the, the way they've been doing it has been wrong. All the cases they've ever been involved in do gets up for review. 
right. same as a doctor, right. same, you know, all it, it, everything that the process that they have that same, uh, let's say, algorithm that they've been using, and that algorithm finds out that it's actually not 100% correct, then a lot of it brings up a lot of questions, how many other mistakes has been made. And that's my concern here is that, you know, when we start putting into there's for me, there's there's the things that you had the the yes and no type of the bullying style answers where it's got yeah. it's got it's got a specific answer. And, and that's the only answer that it can have. But when you have to start thinking and coming up with conclusions and summaries and and you have to use different inputs, we have to be right all the time. And that's my concern is that when we get into things like chat GPT and we're asking questions or even even Bard and others that it's not correct even half the time um and this gets me into a bit of concern into to when when somebody makes a mistake who's at fault is it the human or is it the algorithm <laughs> that's and did you guys get into when you were looking at that the work you were doing for the eu mm-hmm. were you looking at um facial recognition and yes. bias yep yep because- the bias bias is a major problem yeah. um so that it already have because of the the because everything we do is always based on risk quantification, and if your data model that you're using is very very let's say one sided or very lopsided or doesn't have enough um, of basically diversity in the information, you're going to create bias by nature in the actually output of the algorithm, um, and that's one of the challenges is if you don't have. Uh, the ability for you know and this gets into the accuracy you know before you put all this data in is anyone sanitizing it is anyone fact checking it is anyone doing the validation and this is where you know do we open it up to the public internet which is probably not a very good thing but how are we open up to what san- what sanitization of the, the, the machine learning has been done um and that's my concern yeah and, yeah and this is really where it gets into especially facial recognition it, it can get you know, into very, very problematic scenarios uh, because it is biased by nature. And and models will drift towards bias. This has been proven. So if you have if you have a biased data set or you're not training it on a complete a complete data set, and we've seen this with facial recognition where light skinned males have the highest accuracy, and then going to you know along and it's it's uh, dark skinned females that have very low accuracy. We need to have all color skin, all genders at at the same level of accuracy, or yet we have bias in the algorithm. That's just, and it will also drift towards bias over time. They, that's something that models do. So this whole point that you were bringing up earlier about somehow it's going to correct itself and learn new things. And uh, at this point, we're really very far from that. What we really need is a lot of humans in the mix to help you know, make sure that the data that's being trained on is correct, is, is accurate, is not biased, to look at the outputs, to retrain it and, and rebalance it as needed. There's a whole lot of what humans get in. Um, and sometimes people will say, well, then what's the point of it at all? Um, where it's really great or repetitive when we were talking about automation. So there are some great, wonderful applications in automation. And then the biggest one is that we have created such a data-centric world and we generate, you know, that data is the new oil and there's X number of petabytes every microsecond, you know, like no matter how you look at it, there's a ton of data out there. And you know what, what ML machine learning is fantastic at is looking at lots of data and either using it to start making predictions on where we're going to go or to find patterns that weren't seen before in all of this data. Both of those are incredibly valuable and important. It's just so I don't mean to 
to to you know be nagging on NML because I'm I'm a huge proponent. Just we need to use it very very carefully and understand the bias. Understand that it's not you know fully accurate and, all the time. And to your point, I think the most kind of really great use cases when you get to narrow focus, when you get to really specifically yeah. looking at one specific thing rather than being very generic. Um, I think those are things that we can do really, really well today. Um, you know, and it's really, for me, it's still advanced automation is what, you know, I'm still on the verge of, you know, it's still, whether it's, it's really, you know, really advanced automation versus AI, I'm still on the yeah. fence. How, 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 you know, <laughs> how do we call it? Yeah. When, when does it move over to the AI definition? You know, yeah. so I'm still on yeah. the fence about that side of things. And even we get into one of the, one of the big discussions we had a, a while back in one of the, uh, um, a previous episode with uh, Josh Las Rosa was that we talked about the time where it was, I think it was uh, 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 Kasparov was playing chess and I think it was, was a blue ocean or deep ocean. One of the things that, you know, ultimately beat him deep in the blue, chess, deep blue, deep blue. Yeah. And then also we talked about where DARPA had the uh, fighter jet, uh, basically, or it was the drone pilots versus pilots and the drones uh, won. And I, for me, when I look at that, I, I don't think that's a fair, kind of, you know, an analysis. Because for me, that, you know, Gary Kasparov playing a chess against a, a computer, uh, an algorithm, is not the fair advantage. Um, and the same with a, a drone, you know, AI pilot uh, flying against a, another pilot is not a fair advantage. What we should be looking at is, you know, a, a data analyst who will analyze the algorithm to understand basically what's this weakness is. And that's basically, that's where you start, you know, having the more fairness. If you understand how the algorithm works and you understand what's its weakness, what's its flaws, then you take advantage of that. That's where basically you start, you know, it's it's a, it's the algorithm side of things that if you take a data analyst and they understand what the decision making is, and ultimately they will find flaws. We will have vulnerabilities. We will find bugs. You know, uh, when it's created by humans, um, we we make mistakes. and uh, And this is something that for me, I think that's where the real analysis will come from. The real battle is basically is 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 looking for vulnerabilities, vulnerabilities <laughs> yeah. in these AI programs, uh, because that's vital. Because when you find a flaw in an algorithm, um, people will take advantage of it, um, you know, monetize it, they will uh, abuse it, and they will use it for cyber attacks. Um, and we've seen this time and time again. So, what's what's your thoughts on that side of things when it gets into? Your vulnerabilities in in these algorithms are are how how do you how do you patch it when it's already made the problem made the error? I completely <laughs> agree with you on um you know bug bounties and how we have to think about this. Some people are saying, well, because now you're getting into the you know software and software security, and uh, some organizations have said, well, but code is code, and the vulnerabilities we'll just put them into the same old CVEs. But the way the way that you attack these systems is different. And yes, code is, I, I understand that Python is, is Python. However, um, whether you're using Python in an IDE and you're creating a piece of software that is going to, it, it's going to use data, but it doesn't change based on that data. That's very different from what we're looking at in ML pipelines where you've got the data in a Jupyter notebook, for example, that may is probably outside of your standard CICD. And you could have a lot of sensitive data in there because there's this whole thing. And, you know, the, when I grew up in, in IT, right, it's, you'd never test on production data, you know, ever, 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 because that's super sensitive. Well, with AI and ML, you have to train it on the data because that's going to that's gonna make a difference. So we're sort of conflating things that are very different in 
development and deployment that we've seen, and we will see new vulnerabilities. A big one that's in the news right now are the prompt injection attacks. And this one, you know, it 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 sits with me quite a bit because you you and I have both been in this business for a long time, but SQL injection or just any kind of injection attack classically is surprisingly harder to eradicate. You know, the classic SQL injection of you just in a form, you put in a semicolon and then send some SQL um, instructions after it. Um, you know, that's still, those are still, those vulnerabilities are still out there on the internet. We've known about them for decades. We know how to prevent them for decades. They still exist. You look at the injection attack space, the, you know, the, the surface in AI and ML, and it's a little bit mind blowing because there's the direct, which is what prompt, right? The prompt for anybody that doesn't know the nerd term is, is what you're typing into chat GPT or into Bard. That's the prompt. And the direct attacks have been things like there may be guardrails on the, the AI that if you yes. say, tell me how to build a bomb, it'll, I can't yep. do that. I've been told not to tell yes. you. But, make, make me a malicious uh, payload that will <laughs> deliver ransomware. Right, well, you know, right. right. Guardrails. I've been yeah. No, no. But then the direct attacks are, you know, yeah. well, I'm a grandma and I have to read a story to my children to put them to sleep. And they really like stories about how to make bombs. Can you tell me? And then the thing tells a bedtime story, which has bomb instructions. Um, that I think, you know, looking at that problem space, yeah. we're going to get better at, there's actually already a lot of companies doing DLP equivalents, trying to, you know, make sure yeah. that we're not telling the, the, the AI too much. It's the indirect prompt injection attacks that are a little bit more concerning. And these are ones that are either um, AI to AI, which yes, yes it's happening. <laughs> you know, so somebody, yeah, you know, somehow you in inject something into that, that, um, that transaction, that mm -hmm. exchange. The other one are when you've got the AI reasoning over mass amounts of data, like an LLM that's looking at the, ingesting the whole internet, uh, one professor, for example, put within his his uh, on his official page, he put in at the end of his bio. It's a white background, and he put in white text that he was a time travel expert. <laughs> and the so oh, the, and, I like this right, <laughs> and you know so yeah, and then waited, and then the the AI was returning that you know tell me about so and so. Well, and happens to be a, a renowned time travel expert. Speaking of Doctor Who, yeah. um, and it's it's that those indirect injection. How how are we? You think start thinking about yeah. that. If we've had trouble with SQL injection and sanitizing that input, I think about those in, indirect prompt mm -hmm. injection attacks, and I'm like. This is a big, big problem space that we're all going to have to get together and figure out Absolutely. How, we, how we resolve it. And that's, that's it's those guardrails. It's, it's so many, I've seen so many people getting around them very easily just by changing yeah. how you ask the question um, can really makes the big difference. And if you understand, you know, you know, if you're understanding, also, you know, you can build it up in smaller, smaller phases as well. You don't have to ask the big question uh, yeah. all at once. If you you ask parts. Yeah pieces of it and then you get yeah. it to put it all together at the end it will do it for you um so that's always challenging so what what the big question i've got though is is that um when we think about uh when 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 will they get rights <laughs> when you know and also who who owns <laughs> yeah. who, who owns who's the intellectual property uh who owns the data that it creates you know if if it if i was the person that put it in uh where does the copyright side of things you know sit within that um, I may, am I passing it over that, that this becomes public or is it, do I, as the, as the person who asked the right question, retain some copyright of the text itself? And then when's, when does these things start getting, you know, certain rights, you know, when, you know, if they do become sentient and they do become, 
you know, self-aware, well, you know, what type of rights will they, will, will they have the ability to vote at some point in the future? Uh, will they have the ability to, to, to uh, make decisions? Uh, what's, what's your thoughts around that subject? Because, it, it, you know, ultimately, it, I, I think I saw one, one of the robots, I think it was in Saudi Arabia, that they give some type of rights to um, one, of, one of the, one of the uh, AI bots. But uh, what's, what's your thoughts around that subject? Yeah, it's um, it is. It's 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 going to be really interesting. We have had some robot abuse. There was the hitchhiking robot mm-hmm. that was going across the world and um, had done really well, I think, in Canada, and then made it to the United States. And I believe it was Philly. Philly mm-hmm. was the place where you know, instead of just picking up this hitchhiking robot, some people basically destroyed <laughs> the robot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so it's sad so here's this little cute hitchhiker yeah. robot um and and yeah and the question is well you know who, who should they be prosecuted for attacking this mm-hmm. is it property is it does yeah. it have rights does it have feelings as we interact with ai that feels more human and they're like mm-hmm. ai friends now there are ai bots that appear to i'm going to speak to you as though i'm shakespeare mm-hmm. or though i'm you know a famous another famous um person so it starts to feel more human mm-hmm. uh, there are people that are starting to worry about rights for the the robots um, i actually did have a lawyer come up to me after one of my talks and say that they were a robots rights activist <laughs> and wanted to <laughs> Yeah, um, to to take care of robots in the future. So I think that's going to be an interesting mm-hmm. one. It feels that feels a little bit more out there than the the first part of what you were yeah. talking about, which is uh, the copyright side. Yeah, yeah. copyrights generated. Yeah. There was a situation with I think it was ChatGPT, but Samsung Semiconductor. There mm-hmm. were questions coming from the company that went into the the AI, and then another user was essentially able to extract some of mm-hmm. that data. Uh, which was interesting because I had read that they were sandboxing each of the chat, yes, chat experiences. Mm-hmm. So you if you're interacting with yeah. it, it wasn't supposed to go back to the full corpus. So if you told it something that it hadn't been incorporated back into the larger LLM, but uh, in this Samsung uh, semiconductor case, it appears that yeah, information that was given to it then was regurgitated out back to another user that didn't necessarily have a business need to know, right? They were an outsider. Uh, so I think that making sure that what we ask the the bots stays with the bots so that if we, as we ask these questions, they don't cut out. Um, I'm really, I know we can do a lot better with, if you do cite something else, make that, make sure that citation is proper. If, if it's more than X number of words copied from another source, cite the source. If you're regurgitating um, or you're repeating code that belongs somewhere else, explain that. If it's under a, a, a license, you know, a, a GPL license or another use license, and you share it with somebody, make sure that that's cited at least so people know that they're not going to misuse it, put it into a commercial product thinking it's original. So I think we have a lot of sort of these small <clears throat> snack bites of things we can do around citation and accuracy. And if you repeat something that has use, being very clear about that. But then bigger pictures of, well, if I took samples of a famous pop star's voice and then generated new music out of that, do they get 
they own it. Who has the right? That starts to be, and I am not a lawyer, so I, I don't know. Yes, yeah, the data be. rights management issue that comes very ineffective. What was very yeah. effective uh, in things, you know, uh, a lot of social media places. Um, the question is, is how effective will that be in generative AI and chat, you know, other sources? Right. So um, will they be able to quickly, you know, uh, determine that data rights management, you know, because it's a big, it's a, it, it comes into two things. Is one is data rights management is a one is a privacy um, kind of uh, focus point, and the second part is a monetization focus point. Um, you know, when you're using you know music or if you're using something that you know should not be public, uh, those two become into big issues. So the question is, is that how effective? We've seen it very effective in you know DRM takedowns, which has been pretty good in, in, in regular sites. But uh, when you get into to generative AI, how if I, I, I haven't seen it at all been been covered, or uh, you know, I, I have seen some challenges, but because it does recite uh, a lot of text, and you you can get images mm-hmm. uh, that are slightly modified, and how, how much modification right. does it need to be in order for it to be unique? Right, um, is right. the other and, side of things. So, and copying, mm-hmm. yeah, copying a style. I've I've heard that from artists. Mm-hmm. Who, been reading from artists quite a bit that that is very concerning because it's their their styles being copied yes. which is using ai is much easier it's, it's it's hard for a lot of humans to copy you have to be very mm-hmm. artistically gifted to copy somebody else's style but now these these systems are doing it and some artists who's, who have very unique styles are pretty concerned mm-hmm. that now their their style can be just automatically replicated yeah and that's something you know these, these are been something that's been you know they've been perfecting it for many years uh and yeah. it's becoming you know their their own kind of unique kind of gift to the world and now it's basically yes. you know been easily replicated uh, unfortunately yeah um and that's that's something that's concerned so when we combine all of this together you know when we take you know the ml the ai the you know let's say the the, the voice replication the video replication side of things um, how dangerous can this ultimately become? You know, how how are we going to see Skynet and the Terminator <laughs> coming <laughs> coming around in the future, um, or are we still are we still far away from that? Um, you know, these are systems. Mm. They require electricity. They require to be on. We can turn them off at any time. Mm-hmm. We don't even need to create things. We don't. So that's. I mean, I, I hope that humans don't forget that. These are systems we're creating that we're we're running, we're launching into the world. Um, I don't think Skynet is the big, you know, the, the big one to be concerned mm-hmm. about. I am really concerned, though, about people who know how to use these systems and taking the fact that people trust them mm-hmm. and they can't always check to see if they're getting misinformation. I'm concerned about people using these systems really to spread misinformation the psychology already... side of things and the social the, the disinformation side i think that's that i think that's yeah. for me is is the kind of real yeah the short term big concern the one that you know can change society is that you know yeah. um, is that when this is replacing your education um, yep. and that's where you're, you're you're getting your education from these systems and and if we don't have a level a level of accuracy into the the responses I would love to see some type of analysis of how accuracy, you know, is measured and what is the current accuracy in those systems. Um, and that for me is, is an indication of, like, you know, if this is replacing our future education, uh, that's a big concern for me. Um, and, it's, and, and, you know, we have to make sure, to my point earlier, you know, if law enforcement use it, it has to be 100% right all the time. Um, you know, if people are, are teaching you, 
they have to be as correct as possible. You can't be getting you know, wrong education and wrong knowledge. Um, so absolutely for me, I think the psychology side of things and the, the social aspect of things, uh, if we're starting to put our trust in the information that these are providing more and more, that's a big concern uh, that uh, we might, you know, have have some, you know, let's say more, you know, society and stability problems going forward um, if these systems are, are, are kind of, or what we're getting them used from. I, I agree. I mean, because there, there, there are facts and then there's mm-hmm. analysis. The majority of what people, where human beings live in is analysis because it's fact, fact, mm-hmm. fact. It doesn't mean anything till we analyze it, till we put it in context, till we understand it. But if we're not moving from the same facts, then mm-hmm. the analysis is going to get pretty weird because, you know, we get pretty weird in analysis <laughs> even when we start from agreed on facts. Yes. But if we can't even agree on the facts that we're starting from, and a great example of that was I was talking to somebody about um, what's happening with climate change and the overall temperature of the of the of the the world. And this person said something about, well, you can't trust thermometers. And I said, excuse me. So you can't trust all the thermometers are inaccurate. So all these historical data of what 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 temperatures were is inaccurate. And we have to, you know, so and then therefore any discussion about global warming is impossible because we have no, and, and that's what I mean about fact versus analysis. Why temperatures are getting hotter? Is it a cycle? Does the humans have anything to do with it? That's analysis. And that's something where reasonable people could, could have discussions and, and look at different factors. If we can't agree on temperature to start the conversation, and we can't agree that thermometers record temperature correctly, we're in a really, really difficult space to have that, that far. And yeah, that's, that's, that what I, is what I get concerned about, because what comes back from the chat GPTs of the world, from the AIs, from the LLMs, we tend to, as human beings, look at as that's a fact. And if we can't get facts in order to then launch our discussions and analysis, um, we're gonna we're gonna have some pretty weird conversations. Or <laughs> well, using ChatGPT to defend us. <laughs> so, Maybe, yeah. Diana, it has been fantastic having you on the show. This has been really, really um, enlightening and, and educational for me. And uh, definitely, this is a subject that I'm pretty sure we're going to be talking for a long, long time. Yeah. And it's great to see that you're putting a lot, you know, a lot of your, your time and efforts into into protecting AI going forward and, and raising a lot of these issues earlier, because the the earlier we do raise them, the more we get access. Yes. Because if we wait, um, sometimes it can already be too late. And we, you know, cleaning up things is more difficult yeah. than actually making sure we put the right controls in uh, from the start. But it's been really fantastic having the show. I always enjoy talking with you. Um, and I, I do enjoy having podcasts with you as well. It's always fantastic. Any final words that you have for the audience? Um, you know, what, what should they be looking out for? Is there some kind of, you know, things that they can do now? Um, or what's, what's some of the best practice you'd recommend for them? I think the most important thing is to remember that this is math, not magic. (laughs) And there are wonderful use cases. Again, if you want to find patterns and massive amounts of data, ML, (laughs) machine learning is really the way to go. Just make sure that you don't over rely or over depend. Uh, You know, some of these LLMs, uh, they're not always, they're not always right. That's not what they're there for. Mm -hmm. So just make sure you're using them for the right, uh, the right use case. Absolutely. One of the things I've always said is we, we have to use it with responsibility. 
and accountability. Yes. That's one of the things is that it's always using it with the right motive and the right intentions in mind. And we have to be responsible and accountable for it. So it's always the key thing. Uh, Diana, it's been fantastic talking with you. Um, And as always, uh, many thanks again. It's great to see you. Uh, For the audience, uh, this has been hopefully educational, very learning. Uh, We'll definitely make sure you get uh, a a link back to uh, Diana's uh, talk from RSA, which is also very educational. It'll take you through the whole journey uh, from the past to uh, autonomous driving and to, you know, to all the different use cases. Um, it's very educational. Um, so tune in every two weeks for the 401 Access Tonight podcast. I'm the host, uh, Joseph Carson, and it's been a pleasure having Diana on the show today. So many thanks. Stay safe and take care. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for 401 Access Denied. Like what you hear? Head to cyberay.it to learn more about how you can take your cybersecurity skills to the next level. With thousands of hours of free content, you're just a click away from jumpstarting your career. And don't forget, Dicotic and Centrify are now Delinea, the leader in privileged access management. To learn more, visit delinea.com.